If you'd like to take out your right lines, I want to talk to you today about a subject that is very close and dear to the heart of Jesus. And it's called How Real Servants Act. I think we've had in one sense a demonstration of that, uh, an audio-visual demonstration of that. But before I get to that, I want to just lay a bit of a groundwork. Servants? Really? Who wants to hear that word today? Servants. And so often today in churches we hear that Jesus Christ came and he died for our sins, right? And that is very true, but it's only part of the story. Now that we have been bought with a price by Christ's sacrifice on the cross, I just want to focus very quickly, preemptively, on three verses this morning before we dive into the message. If you have your Bibles, pull them out, please, and turn to Romans chapter 14 and verse 7 and verse 8. I added these in very early this morning, so they're not on your outline. It says this, For none of us lives to himself. We could just stop there. Oh, that's a bit convicting. None of us live to ourselves. And none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We have been bought with a price. And this comes from the background. Paul is being a custom for hundreds of years that if you run into financial difficulties and you had no money to pay your debt, what you did is you offered yourself to a master who would pay your debt and you'd be indentured to him. You'd be paid a wage, as it were, but that would go off the debt. You had rights and they were documented. But the point is that to be free from that slave, slavery, somebody had to purchase you. They had to ransom you from that debt that you owed. So once they were in debt, this guy came along and he took them out of debt. They were once slaves to the debtors, now they're slaves to a new master. Let's carry on in 2 Corinthians 5.15, another verse which underpins this. He died for all, okay, we all know that, but did you know the next part of the verse? Look at this. So that they who live might no longer live for themselves. What? Yeah, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Convicting scripture. So we've been bought with a price. Now we belong to the Lord to serve his good purposes. Before we, we ran after our own purposes. Now we're to serve his purposes. That's what that verse says. And one more. So you were bought with a price. Again, that concept, you've been redeemed. Now, use your life or so glorify God in your body. In other words, use your life as a living sacrifice now for him. Now, with all those foundational truths in God's word declared, that Jesus is the Lord and Master, we now serve him rather than ourselves. Now, with that foundation laid down, what I want to do now is I want to take a look at Okay, now we've been bought with a price. We have new owner, a new owner, the Lord. What is his plan for our lives? What is his design for our lives? What is his purpose for our lives? I want to reset that this morning to get a clear understanding. Now, a few of my sons are in the construction and building industries. And one of the things I've noticed is before architects design a new building, the first thing they ask is what purpose will this building be used for? 
What are you thinking about using this for? And then they design a building accordingly. Because its intended function determines the form of the building. Same for a car. If it's a race car, it's one thing. If it's for comfort, it's a completely different design. Now, likewise, before God created each one of you, he decided what role he wanted you to play in this life. Before you were even born, he planned how he wanted you to serve him and be part of his overall integrated plan. And then he didn't just design you that way, he also resourced you and gifted you with certain gifts and talents. Same for your children, same for your grandchildren. Now, Paul helps us understand one of the reasons why God credits. And let's take a look at that verse right now in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, say those next two words with me, good works, which God prepared before beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, he prepared them for us to do, for us to walk in them. That's what he's saying. That verse is we are designed by God for action, actioning his plan. God has good works for us to do that he prepared beforehand before you were even born. So here's the thought. His plan does not end, or his plan for our lives does not end when we believe the message of the gospel, which is completely unique. And it does not end when we receive eternal salvation by grace, through faith alone, apart from work. So that's really clear. But that experience simply marks the beginning of our new Christian life as new creatures in Christ Jesus. Here's the good news though. God's plan extends beyond our salvation all the way through, that's just the beginning, all the way through to our sanctification. So it starts with salvation, accepting Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, accepting the gospel, and it continues all through this life through this process called sanctification. And it extends beyond standing in grace to walking in good deeds. Many have accepted the grace of Jesus, but they stayed there. They have not progressed along this path. So today we're going to look very practically at how God wants us to serve him by serving others. Now I want to point out something. Whatever God says, the world says pretty much the opposite. Right? Doesn't matter what it's about. Marriage, sex, money, leisure, you know, well, you name it. The opposition says a different thing. The world defines greatness in terms of power, Positions, prestige, and position. Ooh, that's your job. Ooh, you've got that position. That's how they define it. And if you can demand service from others, you've made it. That's how the world defines success. In our self-serving, me-first culture, acting like a servant is not popular at all. Now, Jesus, on the total opposite end of the scale, measures greatness in terms of service to others. 
not status. Let me say it succinctly. Jesus values service, not status. You may want to write that down because that is an eternal truth. God determines your greatness by your servant acts, not by how many people serve you. This is so contrary to the world's idea of greatness that we have a hard time. It boggles the mind even trying to understand it, much less practice it. Even the disciples, the 12 that had spent three years with them, blew it on this one. You may recall the instant where they were arguing about who deserved the most prominent position in the kingdom. Do you remember that? You'll find that if you want to look at it later, just to see that our human natures are very much similar. Luke 22 starts at verse 24. That's where that issue is found. Yet 2,000 years later, what the disciples were arguing about, prominence and greatness and position, many today still aggressively jockey for prominence and position today. Now Jesus reminds the disciples and us that our goal and their goal, you, you read that, you go back and read it, it should not be, their goal should not be serving, uh, it should not be ruling, it should be serving. That's clearly what he says. And, and he also, to, to underline it even further, he says, those most highly esteemed down here will eventually not be those who are highly esteemed in heaven. Those most highly esteemed actually will be those who serve, those who are humble. That's what he says. Now I've noticed something, because I've read my fair share of business books. In fact, I'm just clearing out my library. In my house, we've got a particular area, which is a library. My wife's upset at the moment because my books are everywhere as I'm sorting them out. But a lot of the business books I've been going through have been written on leadership. But you know what I found? I haven't found any that are on servanthood. See, the world promotes leadership, but few on servanthood. Everybody wants to lead, but nobody wants to be a servant. Even Christians want to be servant leaders, not just plain servants. But to be like Jesus is to be like a servant. Make no two ways about it. Mark 10, 43. But whoever will be great, this is in God's eyes, not the world. Who cares what the world thinks? Whoever wants to be great among you must be, what does it say? Your servant. You serve God by serving others. There is no other way around it. So God shaped you for service, not self-centeredness. That's short. God shaped you for service, not self-centeredness. And without a servant's heart, we're all tempted to do a few things. Number one, misuse your gifts for personal gain. That's one thing we're all tempted to do. Misuse our gifts that God has given us for personal gain. Secondly, to exempt ourselves from meeting some needs. And God will often test our hearts by asking us to serve in some ways that we are not expecting. And one of the best, most stunningly 
jarring examples of this is found in the parable of the Good Samaritan. You may recall that. Now, just to summarize it, I'm not going to go into that because many of you know that, but if you see a man fall into a ditch, God expects you to help him out. And not to say, well, I don't have the gift of mercy or the gift of service. That's not my gift. Careful. Or even though I don't have time to stop on my agenda to help. Very convicting, this. You know how we say the greatest commandment in all the world? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, right? Love your neighbors yourself. Guess what? Some smart Alex says, well, who's my neighbor? This is what Jesus says. The very next parable to explain who my neighbor is. And he was ticked off with the Pharisees who were rushing around with their religious activity, their business of life, and never did a thing to actually help somebody. Go read it. Now, while you may not be gifted sometimes in a particular task or talent, you may be called to do it if no other gifted person is around. In other words, your primary ministry is the area that you're gifted in, but you have a secondary service, and that's whatever you need to do at that moment. So the shape God gives you reveals your ministry, but your servant's heart will reveal your maturity. Ooh, your servant's heart will reveal your maturity. How much more you're being conformed. See, many are informed, but not conformed. And Jesus tells a very decisive parable about that in Matthew 7. We're here to be conformed to his image, to be more servant-like and less status-driven. There is no special talent or gift needed to come before church, for example, his bride, and serve her by perhaps putting the chairs out. We don't need a PhD or even a theology degree to do that. We just need to put our bodies on the line. All it requires, anybody can be a servant, all it requires is this one thing, Christ-like character. Christ-like character. Not self-serving. Jesus said this, you can detect them, the real deal, he's saying it, the real deal, you can sniff them out by the way they act, not what they say, by the way they, my mother used to say that all the time, Ian, it doesn't matter what you say, it's what you do that counts. I could come home with my Christian thoughts when I was a young whippersnipper, but if I wasn't acting as a Christian in my home, there was hypocrisy. And she's absolutely right to say that. That's called a loving rebuke. So, here we go. Are you ready? Let's get into it. How do you know if you or I have a servant's heart or how do real servants act, not pretenders? Because there are many pretenders today in the body of Christ. Number one, real servants make themselves available to serve. It's not, no, out of bounds. Real servants, genuine fruit, genuine disciples make themselves available to serve. Servants do not fill up their time with endless pursuits that will limit their availability. Oh, sorry. I have five minutes a week. That's it. That servant? That's not a servant. Actually, this is often what happens. Lord, I've got a real problem with that person at work. Would you help there? Oh, by the way, wow, I forgot to turn the alarm on. Lord, protect my house. 
Oh, and that cat, that dog next door. But make sure that my cat doesn't get eaten by the dog. And Lord, for this lovely trip, I'm looking forward to Oh, and that promotion too. God, that guy doesn't deserve it. I do. Is he Lord? Or are you the Lord trying to make him your servant? There's something very wrong with this orientation in prayer. Real servants make themselves available. They must be ready to jump in an act when called upon. Much like a soldier who must always be on standby for duty. You go, who go to Israel with me next year. We've nearly got 30 people coming now. You will find that all of those guys, the whole lot are being trained and they're ready for duty. The call of duty. And the Bible says here, 2 Timothy 2.4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Who bought you? Jesus Christ. Who do we serve? Jesus Christ. Who has first call on your life and my life? Jesus Christ. If he is Lord, he does. See, many people want him as Savior, but not as Lord. So if you only serve when it's convenient to you, like the Pharisees who were walking past a man in the ditch, the Samaritan, you're not a real servant. Real servants do what's needed even when it's inconvenient. I'm absolutely sure that Samaritan had other things on his agenda that day. But he came across something and he acted in love. To him that knows to do the right thing and does it not, to him it is sin. Question, are you available to God for any good deed that he has planned ahead of time? My suggestion to you is answer that in an a priori fashion. Say, God, whatever you want, I am ready. That is the attitude of a true servant. Can God have priority over your plans without you becoming irritated or antsy? Because a servant gives up the right to control their schedule. When that person is redeemed, he's now on the new master's time, the new master's agenda. If that master wants him to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning, he gets up at 2 o'clock in the morning. If that master wants him to, after everybody's gone to bed, go around and lock up and make sure all the sheep aren't escaping, that's his prerogative because he is the master. We are the servants. Now, if you remind yourself at the start of every day that you and I are God's servants, I think you'll find that interruptions won't frustrate you as much because your attitude will be more flexible to allow for whatever God wants to bring into your life. So servants see interruptions as divine appointments to share the love of God and are happy for the opportunity to practice serving. The Good Samaritan is the anchor point, uh, anchor parable for that point. Number two, real servants pay attention to opportunities. They look for ways to act. When they see a need, they act just as the Bible commands us. Here it is in Galatians 6.10. So then, as we have opportunity, it's going to come to you this week. Opportunity is going to come to you. Opportunity is going to come to you. This week, let us do good to everyone. Now notice this next part. First of all, it's everyone, those people at your work. That's what it's talking about. Then it says, and especially.
especially, circle that one, especially to those who are of the household of faith. They take priority. When God puts someone in need in front of you, he's giving you the opportunity to grow in servanthood, which is to be conformed to the images of son. Now, many of us say, God, make me like you. <laughs> but I don't really want to serve anybody. That is a complete oxymoron. That's the antithesis of Jesus' will for your life. Notice that God says there in that verse, the needs of your church family or the bride of Christ, which is the only thing he's coming back for, all this earth is going to get trashed. And a brand new one, in a brand new universe, the only thing he's coming back for is his bride, the church of Jesus Christ. And it's saying in that verse, the church and the body of Jesus Christ is to be given preference, not at the bottom of your things to do list. In fact, can I recommend on your things to do list, you take out a whole bunch of those things and you put in a section for your kingdom. Because in my to do list, I've got things for my house and things for, my, uh, things for the church and things for God and things for financial things and all sorts, you know, fix it things. But there's going to be a space there and that should be at the top. One of the things that's on the top of my priority list for this week is inviting all of my neighbors over for a Christmas get together. That's on the top. And that needs to get done. If nothing else gets done, that needs to get done. So, it's easy to miss occasions for serving because we lack sensitivity to those needs or spontaneity. Proverbs 3, uh, 28 in the ESV version says, Do not say to your neighbor, go away. Come again tomorrow. Then I'll give it. This guy's come to borrow something. And the guy can't be bothered going and getting it and lending it to him. He says, ah, go away. I'm too busy. I'm too tired. <laughs> Come back during the week or something like that. Don't say that when you have it with you. In other words, don't keep procrastinating on doing these things. John Wesley was a, a wonderful example of how to be an incredible servant. He's the father of the Wesleyan movement. You may have heard of him. His motto was, and I quote, taking it from the Wesleyan documents, do all you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, in all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Do all the good you can. He's real clear about that. He got it. So you can begin looking for the small tasks. That's being aware of them. Look for the small tasks that nobody else wants to do. And do these little things as if they were great things because God is watching. Number three, real servants compared to fake servants do their best with what they have. Real servants don't make excuses or procrastinate. Oh, not the right time. They do what needs to be done. Here's a good verse if you ever get into that mode. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 11:4, if you wait for perfect conditions you will never get anything done. The truth. Amen. So God expects you to do what you can with what you have, wherever you are. Now, one of the reasons many people don't serve is they fear they are not good enough to serve. And they believe the lie that serving God is only for the superstars. Friend, let me say it clearly. 
Less than perfect service is always better than the best intentions. Less than perfect service is always better than the best intentions. At New Hope, we practice something called a good enough principle. It doesn't have to be perfect for God to use it and bless it. And we would rather involve the majority of folk in ministry at this church than leave it to a few superstars. Number four, real servants do every task with great dedication. Great dedication. They do it with all of their heart. That's what real servants do. With all of their heart. Not grumbling and complaining and whining. The Bible says this in Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work heartily. Put your heart and soul in, as he's saying there. As for the Lord. Do it for Jesus. Imagine he just tapped you on the shoulder and said, I need you to do this. Okay, boss. Keep that attitude of mind he's saying there. So work is up for the Lord, not for men, because sometimes it's easy there. Whatever you do, it says there. Whatever you do. I used to think about this when I was scrubbing my mother's floor with liner that had ridiculous marks on that got all of the dirt into it. Mother, why did you buy this liner? Not a nice flat one. We used to scrub the floor every Thursday. And Kimberly would know, because she used to say, Woo, that's a nice job. <laughs> Here's the deal. The size of the task is irrelevant. The only issue is, does it need to be done? You and I, friend, will never arrive at the state in life where we are too important to help with menial tasks. That would include... Are we listening? Guys, I'm talking to you. Helping with the kids. Bathing him, showering him, putting him to bed, reading him stories, prayer time. Doing dishes. If, if some of you ladies need a, a scriptural verse to show you in the Bible where men do wash and dry dishes, write in your communication card, I'll send you one. There's one in there. I mean it. There are some folks, out of the thousands that come to our place, but there's a particular... I'm allergic to laziness. And there's somebody that sometimes comes to our place who refuses to do a dish. I want to wring the guy's neck. That's probably not very servant-like, is it? But if I was his father, I'd be doing something about that. But he's, I'm not. I'm just somebody who has an opportunity to serve. <laughs> you and I will never arrive at a state in life where God will exempt you from the mundane because it's a vital part of the character curriculum where we are being conformed to the image of Christ. In the context of bearing one another's burdens, Paul is clear, really clear. Paul nails it. In his inimitable style, he goes, if you think you are too important to help somebody, in other words, it's beneath you, oh, I don't get involved in that, you're only fooling yourself. You, he puts them back in their place, in this case in Galatians, you're not that important. Whoa! Did you just see what Paul did there? It's in these small acts of service that we grow like Christ. Now you go, come on, come on, this is getting painful here. Do you really expect me to? This is, listen, let me be super clear. I only expect you to do what Jesus did. Deal? 
Because he's the boss. As goes the master, so go the servants. And this is what he did, just to be sure we understand this. Jesus did menial tasks that everybody else gave away to the slaves. Really? Where do you find that? Well, let's take number, example number one. When he washed the disciples' feet. That was, whoa! That's why Peter goes, no, 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 not me. He says, yes, 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 yes. He was doing the job of a servant. That's why Peter was reacting to that, because that's what servants did. They took off your stinky old sandals, no socks in those days, sandals, and they washed your feet. That's why Peter's allergic to this thought. Me? Do that? Then what about else? Jesus took time with little children. The disciples almost had the attitude, well, I'm, you know, take him away. The master's far too important for that. Jesus went exactly the opposite direction. Here's another one, which I love. Jesus cooked breakfast for the group. When those boys were out fishing, they came back and Jesus had a barbie going. And there was fish. Remember that? The menial stuff. And it wasn't, I guarantee you it wasn't zip, zap, bang, hocus pocus and there's a fire going. He went and collected the firewood and started it and got it going and provided breakfast. And then he served lepers. Who would do that? This is our master. Get a clear picture of what he did. Nothing was beneath him because he came to serve. This is where Peter had got it wrong and a lot of the disciples because they thought he was going to be the top dog and everybody was going to, he was going to crush the Roman Empire. It wasn't in spite of his greatness that he did these things, but because of it, and he expects us to follow his example. Here we are in John 13. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. And that was talking about the feet washing. And the menial tasks. See, small tasks often show and reveal a servant's heart. Here's one other. I love this one. So here's Paul. He's just been cruising on this, on this Roman ship. And they got shipwrecked. It was a shimuzzle. Overboard, everybody gets there. They're drenching. It's pouring down with rain, thunder, and the whole kitten. You can imagine the, the scene. It's cold, and they're on the island. They finally get washed up on shore on the island of Malta. You remember the picture? Raining and cold. And then what do we see? Paul, the super apostle. He goes out and he gathers a bundle of sticks, and he puts them on the fire so everybody can be warm after the shipwreck. See, Paul was just as exhausted as everybody else. Just as wet, just as cold. But he did for everyone what was needed there. He demonstrated, the super apostle demonstrated servant-hearted leadership in that case. Like Jesus, Paul's demonstrated that no task was beneath him. And he had a servant's heart. So here's a thought. Great opportunities often disguise themselves in small tasks. So little things in the life that determine the big things. Before attempting great things and extraordinary things, try serving ordinary ways. Because I've found there's always more people willing to do the great things for God with great intentions, but they never do it. 
than there are people willing to do the small things. The race to be a leader is crowded, but the field is wide open for those willing to be servants. And by the way, sometimes we serve upward to those in authority, and sometimes we serve downward to those in need. Either way, up or down, God wants us to develop a servant's heart. Number five, real servants are faithful to their ministry. Faithful to their ministry. See, real servants finish their task. They complete and fulfill their responsibilities. Real servants keep their promises. And they complete their commitments. They don't leave a job half undone and they don't quit when they get discouraged. Did you hear what I just said then? When they get discouraged. They keep their promises. They're trustworthy. They're dependable. Now friends, faithfulness is a very rare quality. Philippians 2 notes this. For I have found no one like him. He's talking about Timothy. Paul talking. I found no one who will be genuinely concerned, genuinely concerned for your welfare. Why is that, you may ask? Next sentence explains all. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Wow. And in culture today, many don't know the meaning of commitment. Many people make very shallow commitments casually and they break them on the, for the slightest reason without hesitation without remorse and without regret and every week there are churches over this land specifically in New Zealand and Australia I can talk about and other organizations that are forced to improvise because volunteers didn't prepare they didn't show up or didn't even call to say they weren't coming so here's the deal. As far as it depends upon you, can you be counted on? In Jesus' name. Are there promises that you need to keep? That you said between you and the Lord or made a commitment that you need to fulfill? See, God tests us and notices our faithfulness. If you pass the test, and there are tests, I'm going to name a few of them in a second, then you're in good company. That's why it says, test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Here's a few that, are in good, that, tested, that were tested. Abraham was tested. Moses and Samuel, think about the tests they went through. David and Daniel and Timothy and Paul, they are all called faithful servants of God. Even better, God has promised to reward your faithfulness in eternity. We sung about that not long ago. Imagine what it will feel like one day to have God say, as he mentions in Matthew 25, 23, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. You put my priorities over the world's priorities and over your own individual ones, my ones. That's called seeking first the kingdom of God. Because you've done that, I will set you over much and enter into the joy of your master because you did that. My heart is full of joy 
By the way, faithful servants never retire. They serve faithfully as long as they're alive. Now, you can retire from your career, but you will never retire from serving God. Number six, and finally, real servants maintain a low profile. A low profile, because servants don't promote or call attention to themselves. Hey, look what I'm doing. Instead of acting to impress and dressing for success, God wants us to, as some versions say, clothe yourself in humility. In humility. Here's another version from the New Living Translation. All of you serve each other in humility. For, why? Why? Why would it do that? Why should I serve in humility? Because as the scriptures say, God is opposed to the proud. Life is hard for the proud. And the rest of the verse says, but he gives grace to the humble. If they are recognized for their service and they humbly accept it, some of these guys, but they don't get distracted and discouraged from their work. So in Paul's again style, he, man, that guy had a, a knack of getting it dead right. He says, he exposes a kind of service that appears to be spiritual, but really isn't. It's just a put on. Paul addresses that. Yeah, he does. It's a show. It's an act to get attention. And he's got an interesting word, which believe it or not, I don't think I've seen in all the years of being a Christian. I just happened to notice it today, uh, this week. It was called eye service. And it's in the scriptures. Eye service? Have you read that? Look at that here. He calls it eye service. And by the way, it's called serving in order to impress people. That's what eye service is. Serving in order to impress people how spiritual we are. Now Paul instructs us, we are to serve in Ephesians 6, 6, here it is, not by the way of eye service, no, don't do that, as people pleases, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. That's that heartily again. So this is tying it all together. Here's another almost identical admonition in Colossians 3.22. Bond servants, which is us, obeying in everything those who are earthly masters, not by the way of I service as people pleases, but with a sincerity of heart. There we go again. Sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. This was absolutely not the way of the Pharisees. Or they, they sometimes helped others. They gave often large amounts of money. Look how much money I am giving. And in those days, you could hear the big clatter. <laughs> That's why Jesus said, see that woman who gave two of the smallest coins? She gave more than all these other jokers. Her reward's far greater than all that because they gave out of their abundance. She gave out of her need. It's not about the amount. Never has been. Not with God because he owns a lot. They, the Pharisees, turned their helping into acts of performance, even prayer. They'd stand on the street corners for others to look rather than humble service to God where nobody could see. But Jesus, strong word coming up, hated that attitude. Hated it. In fact, this is what he says in Matthew 6, 1. And we're nearly done. When you do good deeds, 
you may want to circle that. There's an expectation. Grace is the root, but good deeds are the fruit. You are saved by grace and grace alone. But to be sure that's taken place eventually, that's why James says, faith without works is, is dead. When you do good deeds, don't try and show off. If you do, which they did, you won't get a reward from your Father in heaven. This is Jesus speaking. So here's what I'm trying to say. Self-promotion and servanthood do not mix. Huh? They don't mix. Water and oil. Real servants don't serve for the approval or the applause of others. They live for an audience of one. And Paul said, if I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, they're opposites. Joseph is a good example of this. He didn't draw himself attention to himself, but he quietly served Potiphar, and then his jailer, and then the Pharaoh's baker, and his wine taster. And God blessed that attitude. Even through difficult circumstances, he served wherever he was. And when Pharaoh promoted them to prominence, Joseph still maintained a servant heart. Even when his brothers who betrayed him, he had the power to just whoosh, finish it. But like Joseph, you might be serving and might find yourself, if not now, in the future, in obscurity, feeling unknown and forgotten. But I can assure you of at least one comforting thought. God puts you where you are for a purpose and your ministry matters for the kingdom of God. Notoriety means nothing to real servants because they know the difference between prominence and significance in God's eyes. You and I can have several prominent features on your body that you could live without. Friends, the scriptures even say it's the more insignificant or hidden parts that are indispensable. The more hidden parts, excuse me. And the same is true of the body of Christ. The most significant service is often the service that is unseen. And you can find that in 1 Corinthians 12.22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we, grow, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. And you can read it on. In heaven, God is going to openly reward those, some of those who are his most obscure, unknown servants. People we have never heard of on this earth. Let me give you an example of just a couple. People who taught emotionally disturbed children. People who cleaned up after incontinent elderly. People who nurse AIDS patients in their dying days with ridiculous amounts of complications. People who've served in thousands of unnoticed ways. Know this, and do not be discouraged, that your service does not go unnoticed or taken for granted. Keep on serving God. I love the encouragement of firstly Paul who says, Therefore, my dearly beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. No, nothing can knock you over. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. That's a great encouragement. Secondly, Jesus says, even the smaller service is known by God and he'll reward you. If, as my representatives, 
You give even a cup of cold water to a little child. You'll surely be rewarded. Nothing escapes his attention. And God faithfully takes special note of those who serve him. For God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name by how? By serving the saints. See the priority? As you still do. So you serve God by serving others. And you see the actions. We see the actions. You and I see the actions. But God sees the motive. Now even the best of the servants get weary. It's the Lord's desire to encourage us to be diligent and to trust him in spite of the demands. That's why he adds this last verse in Hebrews 6. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope till the end so that you may not be sluggish. Don't you love that word, sluggish? (laughs) Sluggish. But imitators of those through faith and patience inherited the promises. So as you look at your outline, right there, there are six characteristics of real servants. Which one of those six offers you the greatest challenge? Which one? Just circle it. This is for you, nobody else. Which one? If you're serious about serving the Lord, you'll identify that. And we're going to pray for you right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are just such an awesome God. You had us in mind before you even created the world, before we were born. And Lord, I know there are people here today that need to understand firstly and realize emotionally that they matter to you. Would you help them sense your love and your call? Father, if there's someone here that's never opened their life to you and to your son Jesus Christ, would you help them take that step to cross across the line today and to say, Jesus Christ, I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want, to, I want you to come into my life to forgive my sin and to change me from the inside out. I want to follow you. For those of you who have already given your life to Christ, would you just pray in your mind with me and say, Holy Spirit, help us, help me to discover and develop the gifts that you have given to me and the design how you've made me unique and for a purpose. Cause me to be available to be used for the purposes you created me. Help me to make myself available for the opportunities that you bring my way, Lord. Help me to be sensitive and spontaneous. Help me to do the best with the gifts that you've given me, Lord. And to bring great dedication to the tasks that you put before me. Help me to be faithful and humble in my ministry. Father, when I think of the untapped, amazing experience sitting here right now in this auditorium and on the internet, Lord, I am amazed and as I think about the impact of those gifts properly committed to you, mobilized and in action, there'd be an amazing impact for your kingdom's sake. Would you help us all commit all that we have to you, realizing that we can trust you in your plan 
to sovereignly work it all together for good. Again, Lord, we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Gifts, abilities, and experiences. You've given us these for the good of others and for the glory of your name and for the growth of ourselves. We offer ourselves afresh to you, Lord. We are your servants. Thank you for the privilege of serving you. And everybody said, Amen.